Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. We are back. Well, we are virtual today. Matt is uh, is at the, his desk there, and I'm still at the house. But uh, Matt, how are you doing today, buddy? Did you survive these storms that we've had recently? I survived them, but my gosh, <laughs> that was a lot of water. Yeah, no, the other night there, the, the thunder and lightning kept my wife and I up along with our daughter, but somehow my one-year-old son managed to sleep through the whole thing. So uh, I had to check his pulse in the morning because I don't know how anyone would sleep through that and he managed to. So thank goodness, because it was uh, it was quite the quite the party there in the sky. But uh, yeah, the most entertaining thing I think on our end was we have a like a big inflatable kiddie pool that we put up on our balcony and we have a townhome. So on like the top floor. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> of course it blew off the roof and how I found out was my mother-in-law being like, why do the neighbors have that pool in their backyard? And I was like, I'm pretty sure I know where that came from. <laughs> Mother nature decided to deliver it to him. Yeah. So I clandestinely retrieved it, but, um, that was me in the rain dragging a kiddie pool down the sidewalk back over to our house. Oh my goodness. That's funny. Yeah. I know it was, uh, it's that, I guess it's that time is time of year. Yeah. Um, Summer in Houston. Gotta yeah, love it. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm just happy. I had to turn my sprinkler system off for a couple of days because the old water bill was starting to ramp up again. So some, uh, some free, some free water for the lawn was, uh, was certainly needed, but nonetheless, um, on to the mud side of things, Matt. We, uh, you know, we recently did the AADE series where we talked about uh, the papers that um, you and your team and and some other folks helped uh, write and publish. So hopefully everyone enjoyed that. And and something that you know continues to get brought up time and time again, and uh, is the uh, you know just the idea of automation, um, not only in our industry but a lot of industries have certainly adopted technology to help automate things. And uh, I think it's worthwhile mentioning it and, and talking about it today, man. What do you think? I love it. Very cool. Uh, so Matt, some, I mean, we, you know, we always talk a little bit before we get recording, but uh, one thing that we sort of got touched on is, uh, you know, just, just like, how do we get to a point of automation? And there's a lot of information out there, probably a lot of consulting companies that talk about, you know, the roadmap to automation. So why don't we start with that and, and go from there? Sure. I mean, and that's what you see most of the literature. I think if you search any of the, the oil field technology archives, everything's going to start talking about how we're going to do it. Um, there's a few that say we've done it or here's an element of how we've done it. But uh, most folks uh, on the roadmap will say, okay, what if I could hit a button and the next thing that would happen would be the well would be drilled and delivered back to me. So Mm-hmm. no intervention whatsoever. And right. then, you know, what are all the steps? And of course, it's what kind of equipment do I need? What kind of data and communication do I need? Um, what sort of, uh, you know, fail safes do I need? Do I need uh, what type of computing power to make decisions? Um, I think, you know, as much as people say, oh, you know, we can standardize all this stuff. Most of the big problems, the easy wells, you definitely could, but I don't know when the hard wells are coming, you know, when I have sudden losses or wellbore instability and, and how to respond to it. Uh, and so 
you know, planning around those contingencies in an effective way. Um, so there's, there's just a lot in those roadmaps, but most of them, uh, there, there's a lot of people with a lot of, of vision for that. And I think my only thing is, I, I think telling people how it's going to be done is the easy part. Right. Doing it, there's just a, a lot in between that, that gets us there. And, and are we talking about full automation where I push a button and I get a well? Or are we talking about maybe automating the more dangerous tasks or the more labor-intensive tasks? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which will probably be stepping stones in that you know, roadmap. If you well, and, and I think that's, that's a good point. And I think what we as an industry are doing, just from, from talking to different folks and even seeing what we're doing internally, is it starts on a micro level. Like, where's the low-hanging fruit to where we can take multiple tasks and, and have them automated. And, and eventually you, you slowly start to integrate, um, you slowly start to integrate different, uh, technologies and different things that have become automated in time altogether. Uh, you know, a perfect example, I was actually with, uh, a gentleman from, uh, Apache last night, a good buddy of mine on the completion side. And, uh, we were talking actually about automation and he was, you know, it was as simple as, um, you know, that there's some technology out there and I forget what it's called, but it's a piece of equipment that will automatically refill and will check the fuel levels in pumps and will automatically feed fuel into the pumps as needed. And so what that does is it eliminates the need for someone to go in between these pumps when they're doing a frack job and constantly be checking fuel levels and then, you know, pushing a button to add fuel. Um, so, you know, that, that's a small component, but ultimately, uh, it, 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 it can save, it, it can save on, uh, you know, just people being in, in, in dangerous zones. And so I think with that is, is there's, there's little components that can be automated to where then eventually, you know, and, you know, if we were to think of it in a, in a jet Jetson fashion is, yeah, you push a button and away we go. But I think it's just, you know, slow micro automation pieces that eventually will lead into, you know, full automation. And what does full automation mean? Or what does that look like that? Shoot, I don't know. That, that's, that's a good question. And whether we see it in our lifetime or not, um, it's, it's cool to be a part of at least the beginning of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's exciting to think about everything that's possible. I think it's sort of, um, you know, frustrating at, at how much how much potential there is and how slow some of these things seem to come to be. But uh, right. they obviously have to be proven. Uh, there's a lot of risk. Um, you know, I, I think we've talked about it in the past. People talk about like self-driving cars and how revolutionary that could be. Um, and at the same time, a lot of people I've talked to in that industry say that we're pretty long ways off, no matter what people are telling you. Right. Um, because it's one thing to drive on a roadway with nobody there or a you know downtown grid it's a whole nother to you know encounter some real uh you know road hazards a tree falling in the road or something like that and and you know protecting people from unknowns so well i completely understand what you're saying matt so let's talk a little bit about the implementation side of it um you know, how, how do we actually begin implementing it from just like conceptually to actually executing on this kind of stuff, you think? I mean, I, I think you bring up a good point. We've talked about this with big data. I think you start small. Uh, I think there's an argument on the other side or, or there's, there's pushback on that saying, 
Well, actually, you need to have the big picture in mind the whole time. Um, you know, if you're trying to decide how you're going to handle one specific task and you sort of have your blinders onto that, what happens is it creates inconsistent data acquisition. You might, you're only going to gather the information that helps you as opposed to perhaps some sort of communication that needs to go to another piece of equipment, um, that sort of thing. And, and that's one of the issues that I, I've, I've heard is that, you know, a lot of folks see that their version of things for their particular task is proprietary, which, I mean, they spend a bunch of money developing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they may think it's the best way to do things, which I'm not going to argue with that. But what it does mean is that if it needs to work with another piece of equipment, um, it, you know, there, there could be some challenges there as far as getting them to talk to each other, uh, getting, sh- you know, getting the right information across from one role to the next. If you think about trying to run, and, uh, run casing in cement and also handle drilling fluids at the same time, automating those tasks, uh, you know, you're pumping from different places, the equi- you, you care about different things. And that's going to show in the way that you establish that automated uh, workflow, if you will. Right. So, yeah. So how, how much do you think, you know, within a company, obviously, the way we've done things for a long time is, is, is certainly a, a common response to, you know, whether or not people want to adopt change. Uh, certainly, there's a cultural aspect to all of this. And so, I mean, how, how important do you think it is to shift culture and get everyone on board before starting to make you know changes or do you you know make changes and hopefully everyone just adopts the culture and and shares in the same vision i mean i think it's tough i, I think you know there's a, some of us i don't know if it, if it's younger people or just people with a certain mindset but um i think there's part of it where you know if you've ever typed in, typed in a bunch of numbers in excel and been like there has to be a way to write a macro for this Or (laughs) I feel like a robot could do this. And I I think there's, when you get to those iterative tasks, people are pretty ready to embrace um, like, yeah, let's, let's find some way to make this easier. Um, I I think when you get into more complex decisions, uh, I see, you know, and and I've wrestled with this myself. I I don't want to feel undermined. Um, I, I won't, you know, I, I think I bring something to the table and I want to help and be involved in decisions right. say, Oh, well, we'll just write a program to replace that. I, I'm a little skeptical that software is at the point that it can just out and out replace some of these things or that equipment can just figure this out. Um, and so is, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, is that because of the analytical piece, uh, of it or just like, like, how do you mean by, by that per se? Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I think a little bit of everything in as much as, uh, at some point, if you want to automate, you, you more or less have to download someone's brain or experience. And yeah, there's right. a claim that AI can recognize patterns, what have you, but you need to find some rules and somebody's got to say that, you know, your mud weight needs to be heavier than your pore pressure. Um, that needs to be like a defining boundary for how you're going to drill the well. Unless, you know, of course, you're using, unless you're using some special equipment, right? Underbalance drilling, whatever. Yeah. But um, there, there's certain rules of the road that you have to have. Um, and some of those rules or, or pitfalls come from experience. And some of those things, uh, like, I just don't think are properly defined yet. Um, I got you. 
you know, and, and so once again, the easy stuff, I think, yeah, sure. We could automate it. The, the more complicated stuff, um, you know, there's a reason that our customers value our experience and are in an area or our opinions on, on certain things. Yeah. Um, and, and so putting that into code or, or creating algorithms that can learn that, um, I, I think we've got a ways to go. But then I think on the cultural side, what you see is you see people who say, well, I don't ever see it, or I have a hard time seeing this happening in the near future. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe they're right. uh, But even if, even then there's probably some reluctance to say, I want to use this as a tool, as you've said, I've, I've been doing it this way all along. Why would I go to my computer and make this decision when I know myself what to do? For sure. Um, so I, I think there's just some of the cultural resistance, I think, is, is fairly practical when you can see some of the, the blind spots. But I also think it would be kind of cool, you know, if, if there, let's say we had well-born stability and something, you know, flashed up, like, hey, here, here are the most common scenarios in the area. And, and uh, you know, my recommendation is to do this. You say, okay, well, let's, let's wait up. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. Yeah, no, there, there's value in that. And, and I think a lot of companies or even people on, on leadership levels, um, there, there's a level of, of promise and, and, you know, vision that they share with whether it's investors or even their own people or whatever that looks like. Um, do, do you think there's a bit of uh, people are a little bit too optimistic about the whole automation thing in the near future, like with regards to, okay, in, in a year from now, here's how we want to do it. Uh, you know, is, is there a lot of under delivering going on, you think, in the in industry for that? I, I mean, in my opinion, yes. I think it's really easy to talk about what we're going to do. And, and you're talking, I mean, you're not talking about one basic task like, oh, I'm going to automate drilling a well. Um, there are so many things in between there where, you know, the real piecemeal parts where it's like, let's, let's figure out how to automate our most dangerous tasks. Let's list those out. Let's figure mm-hmm. out, you know, how we're going to do those. Uh, I mean, that seems to be the most likely path, but when you're talking about a vision, it's, you know, it's less attractive to say, I hope to automate 3% of the roles on a rig, um, or 3% of the activities. Yeah. Uh, and I just think the vision gets exciting. It's easy to get carried away just because of like, oh man, how cool would it be if we didn't have to do this or we could automatically do this? Um, and investors certainly want to hear that things are going to get cheaper and more economical and automation offers some of that promise. Uh, right. But we, we just have to be realistic. And, and I think with big data, you know, I, I think when we've talked about data analytics and some of the things that, that we've done, we realize some of the big wins are are in more small nuanced things that are kind of hard to get people excited about, but Mm -hmm. man, they're, they're pretty cool what they can do, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. So where do we see it right now? Do you think like where, with regards to say data acquisition, um, you know, things of that nature. So, I mean, I think data acquisition for the most part is automatically gathered now. Right. I I mean, not a hundred percent look at it. I mean, when we run a mud check, we're, we're not automatically doing that. We're typing it in. Uh, but there's tons of sensors on rigs now. They're cheap. Um, it's easy to gather that information. Yeah. Um, and at the very least, it informs decisions and helps with analysis. I think the automation side of things, as far as actual decision making, there's a few spaces where it's happening. Um, 
you know, kick detection, other, uh, other pretty high level functions. Uh, directional drilling, I think has made a lot of inroads on this. Yeah. Um, but just straight up, I don't have to do anything. Once again, if we're talking full automation, I push a button. Um, we're not there yet, but we're definitely gathering the information so that we could feed it into something that could ultimately make a decision. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where I think the automation piece uh, that we have internally uh, with the AES analytics stuff that's been recently deployed is, is where the automation to generate KPIs and again, going back to data acquisition, um, which then ultimately comes down to, you know, real time decisions. Uh, I say real time, but as real time as they can get with the information that we're gathering from the field, uh, that that's where for, you know, certainly see the value. And from my experience, you know, it's not, you know, you push a button and all of a sudden you're deploying a mud system, but (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's getting to the point of, okay, we've got all this data and we can automatically organize it and, and, piece it together to tell the the story, um, which, you know, could, and I think we've probably mentioned this in the data analytics podcast, but being able to analyze it um, in, in situations where it would have normally taken, say, three or four days, you can just do it in a click of a button, uh, just exponentially increases, you know, the way we handle our business and, and the more we can actually solve problems and give solutions to customers and stuff like that. So, that piece of it is certainly interesting. Um, where do you see, uh, you know, actual like examples from whether it's mud or on the drilling side of things, like where have you seen the biggest advancements? You think you mentioned directional drilling, but anywhere else that comes to mind? Um, I mean, I think we see a lot of this in, in pipe movements, pipe handling, uh, which is a, you know, pretty dangerous task. So, uh, you know, single button trip systems and and that sort of thing are, are definitely coming to be, um, I think we've had a version of auto drillers for a while, but, you know, probably starting out with wrapping a chain around a brake and and getting slightly more sophisticated than that. But think about data acquisition, being able to determine weight on bit and, and, um, you know, doing drill rate tests Mm -hmm. you know, optimizing mechanical specific energy. I mean, a lot of that stuff is, is all automated now, uh, which I think is really cool. you know, uh, predictive components. And then, um, just the idea of, of even, you know, application of weight on bit or, or on on the directional side, I think what you're seeing is a lot more drive to, for example, remote operating centers where you have a directional driller who can watch four or five rigs. Um, which obviously that means I don't need as many directional drillers, but maybe you can also keep the experts really close at hand um, and make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, have somebody kind of yes, no, have flags, al- alarms, alerts to, uh, you know, we're falling out of zone, those, those kinds of things, uh, just quick feedback and quick and quicker reaction times. Mm-hmm. Um, so like on the, on the drilling side, you, you see a lot of it, you see a lot of those elements, like we've talked about that we're, we're starting to bring together. And, um, you know, I, I think there's an argument that you could do this tomorrow. You just probably wouldn't like the price and you probably wouldn't, you would probably spend a lot more time doing maintenance and repair work than you would drilling. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of bugs and troubleshooting. Um, and, and I mean, you see this in deep water. That was always the joke, you know, a new rig came on for, for a deep water 
well or something or a drill ship came out and the first six months was just trying to figure out everything that didn't work. Um, and so normally, yeah, there's an argument. It's new rig crew, new rig, all that, you know, kind of figuring out how everything behaves. But a lot of it was, you know, that a bunch of electronics don't work or mechanical <laughs> yeah. systems that are one-offs or serial number one um, just need, you know, aren't very reliable or need some changes. And so once those bugs are all worked out, you have a pretty amazing system on your hand. Mm-hmm. But it just, it takes a while to figure all that out. Yeah, no, and, and certainly being on the drilling side of things, uh, even since, you know, I sit, you know, set foot on a rig, there's been a lot of advancements, but what I think is neat, uh, what I hear and, and, and read as of lately is, is even talks about automating production rates. And so, um, you know, there's, there's people like outside, uh, companies that are outside oil and gas, you know, Amazon web services, all these other, you know, tech companies coming in and, and figuring out cloud computing to where then you can somehow somewhat automate each well's production rates, depending on, you know, several different inputs, perhaps even market inputs, price of oil, and, and literally adjusting your production rates um, instead of people manually computing and making models and stuff. And so like, I think as an industry, if you look at it on a macro level, um, that I, I think in the future would be pretty interesting. Uh, again, I think there's a long, you know, ways to go, but, but the vision having that, uh, as an opportunity may, may like completely shift the industry, um, which goes well beyond the drilling side of it. But, uh, I've read a couple, uh, articles discussing that part and, and that, that, I mean, it'd be cool to be able to drill well from Houston and not have anyone out there or very few people, but to be able to actually control the market automatically somewhat, uh, to me is way over my head, but I think is pretty interesting if, if that's the direction that we eventually get to, whether it's our lifetime or not. Yeah. But. I mean, it, it, and, and I think on the production side, there is, there is a lot of it where, you know, you improve, uh, you improve sensor technology, even, even, uh, you know, that that's one of the things is hey, try and get a crude sample, right? We say, what well is it from? They're like, well, it's one of six because that's the first sampling point we have. Yeah, is and and you look at you know some of the criticisms on the overall economics of wells where they say look there's no way this well is producing what they're reporting to the railroad commission mm. but there's no way to disprove it because it's the, the the point where they can even capture production once again is tied into a bunch of other wells <laughs> yeah and so perhaps there's uh there's something there that you know could be could be included in that component where we get sensors on individual wells that can actually break down, you know, uh, the different phases, how much oil, how much water, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, it is a, a really cool concept and probably something that may get the money first, right? Like I think yeah. drilling is, drilling is one thing. And I have friends who are, are, you know, money guys. And and when I ask them, cause I'll say, well, I don't understand, you know, this, this operator doesn't seem to be very efficient at drilling. And they're like, well, that's, that's one component, but guess what? They may not be the most efficient, but they're on some really good land and they have some really good wells and yeah. that sort of masks over other things. Um, I was like, that's true. The, the barrel of oil is where it all, you know, where the rubber hits the road. So, yeah, no, you make a great point. So let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk uh, on a topic that obviously hits more close to home is, is the mud side of it. Um, not too much automation we've seen, or at least in my lifetime. I mean, certainly there's been uh, technological 
advancements. Um, but uh, where do you see automation on the mud side? Can you think? And then let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think we've actually dabbled in it quite a bit. Um, you know, the one problem we have is that mud is dirty. Uh, <laughs> and that challenges a lot of the equipment. But I'll never forget when I was when I was in Azerbaijan, I uh, there were some of the rigs were shut down and I sent out a survey to all of uh, all of the mud engineers who were on the rigs. And I said, I want you to tell me five things. If money was no object, five things that would dramatically reduce cost and improve efficiency on the rig tomorrow. Hmm. And they came, they all get, you know, came back with their lists. I presented to the customer, but one of the most consistent complaints was that the newer rigs all had some form of automated equipment that didn't work. And so the oldest rig in the fleet was the one that had no problems because it had all manual valves, manual mixing system. And they said, look, I mean, it's easy to fix. We don't have to wait for parts. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Whereas, uh, you know, one of the criticisms on the, one of the newest rigs, which w- was that um, the, uh, the pit volume system and transfers could be push button. Um, but the Derrican would just push the button and would never go check the valves. <laughs> and so it wasn't until, you know, pits were spilling over into other pits or, you know, something else was going on. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just, well, you know, I assume it works. And it was, well, these things get dirty, they go down. And that added maintenance, that added, you know, that added reliability factor was a serious problem, um, which makes sense. You know, if you have to go down and physically turn a valve, you know whether it's open or closed. Right. And you're probably not going anywhere. So. But, you know, that equipment exists. That was 10 years ago. Those things continue to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think those sort of things. And if you think about if, if we could really get nailed down pit monitoring equipment, everything, that's getting better because of well control, you know, safety concerns. Um, but just being able to manage those things and offer instructions, um, pretty good stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, Another area that we've definitely uh, seen is, is uh, you know, trying to measure cuttings volumes, how much is coming out of the hole. So there's different ways to do this. You catch the cuttings coming off the shakers. They fall into a basket. You take a weight, you know, relative to a certain rate um, and do this iteration repeatedly. Uh, I found, you know, it's sort of a mixed bag. You, you kind of had to gauge in. When I first used these, I hear they've gotten better we had like 25% more cuttings and we had hole drilled and <laughs> it was it, but it was consistently wrong. So at the very least you could sort of account for if I had 40% more mm. then something else was going on. Or I, if I had 25% less, if I only had a hundred percent of the cuttings, the hole we drilled, then uh, we probably weren't getting the hole clean. Right. So um, that, that one I think is interesting. And, and I like, even being able to track waste volumes just from a whole cleaning perspective of how many, how many bins have we filled up? How many do we usually fill up with this whole size? Right. You know, those sort of things, I think there's a little bit of automation there. Um, you know, on the real, on the mud properties, let's just say running a mud check. I mean, this is a, all of these things you could do tomorrow. I've seen every single one of these systems in isolation. Um, mud properties drive me nuts just because, um, it, you could automate a fair amount of this, uh, rheology, no problem. Uh, once again, it's getting the equipment clean. I've seen some, you know, basically what you have to do is you have to have a cell. It brings in a mud sample. 
you know, does some sort of check and then has to flush it out with base oil or some sort of solvent to make sure it stays clean. Hmm. Um, because I don't know, it's probably 10 years ago, there was a fully automated mud checker system in Norway. And yeah. the idea was to produce personnel on the rig. And the joke was they were swapped out a mud engineer for a guy, a technician who could fix all the broken equipment. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, there's inline viscometers that are sort of, uh, you know, that from the food industry that work, um, solids kind of there, there's, a, a some tools out there for kind of in an attempt to replace the retort, some chemical analysis you can do. Um, so you could get pretty close to doing a whole mud check water-based or oil-based. Mm -hmm. Um, but that equipment is all together, very expensive where. Um, it doesn't actually displace the mud engineer. So I'm still paying for a guy to be out there. Right. Um, and yet, uh, you know, I'm paying another 1800 bucks a day for access to automated equipment when, you know, some, uh, you know, guy or gal mud engineer could catch a sample and run a check takes about an hour. Um, do that a couple of times a day. Um, it would be nice if they could spend more time on the pits and not waste time with this stuff, but I think the cost needs to come down. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know? no, to make it, yeah, to, to make it make business sense for folks out there. Uh, yeah. And I think that's a challenge too, with technology is, is the ideas come out, the, you know, the concepts come out, but it's, well, does it really make sense for, you know, on our balance sheets to spend, you know, instead of X percent on drilling fluids per well, all of a sudden it quadruples and it's like, does that really make sense? But um, I mean, obviously that's, that's the, that's the cool thing about business is that people find a way to, uh, you know, get to a cost point where it makes sense for the consumers and, and eventually it'll get there. Uh, but one thing that, you know, uh, folks that I've talked to a lot, you know, in the field is how cool would it be one day to have, uh, say a trailer that you have all your liquid chemicals or even all your dry chemicals in a bulk, uh, you know, in a bulk tank. And let's say you need a pound per barrel of gel or whatever, and uh, you can somehow then auto, you know, automate how much gel, you know, the concentration of gel you put in your, your system volume and your circulating times. And, you know, and instead of telling a Derek Han, okay, mix, you know, five sacks, you know, per hour at, you know, X, <laughs> X minutes per sack. Um, certainly, I think that's a realistic goal, maybe not in the next month or year, but uh, I think, and, and certainly that would change the design aspect of rigs. I think you'd have to redesign the pit system and mix system and all that, but you know, and, and maybe that comes out offshore probably first, I would imagine. Um, but nonetheless, I, I think that would be really neat to be able to fine tune your properties via automating, um, chemical additions. Cause a lot of times it's spotty, right? You get a Derek hand or a, a pit hand that you know, all of a sudden has to go do something for two hours. Well, then you're, mi you're missing your treatment or then you go to backload it with a bunch of chemical and then all of a sudden you're you know things kind of go up and down until everything gets uniform again so um that would be a, a really neat aspect of you know from a field level that would be to me uh really interesting to see and, and i don't know if folks are working on it or not but uh i think it's a realistic goal nonetheless yeah i mean i i think of i sort of laugh at, but i think if, if you've worked offshore a lot of times we would get wetting agent emulsifier in uh, uh 550 gallon totes yeah and yeah. you would you know drop it down to the deck below and just crack the valve and get a rate with your uh vis cup yep and uh and it's like well what if you had a just a little dosing pump um you know yeah. for some of those liquids you know 
<clears throat> excuse me, you, you know what you can, you know, how much you need to add relative to your drilling and you could automate it to turn off when you stop circulating or, you know, so there's, uh, I, I think that it, it could be that we start with a poor boy opportunity like that. Yeah. Um, and, and build up from there. You know, the, the dry products are, are probably a, a little bit of a, a different challenge, but, um, yeah. once again, the, the thing is before they're mixed, I think it's actually a little easier just cause you can sort of steal the like powder transfer concepts from the food industry and, mm. and that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I've seen, I've seen mud plants with some level of automation in Europe. Um, huh, cool. and, uh, you know, once again, I, I don't know how reliable they were, but a lot of it was, you know, if I just need to put a certain number of gallons into a mix pit, I've got seed mud, right? I got 50% seed mud. I need mm -hmm. to add, I need to mix 50% new mud. I know how much emulsifier and wetting agent and base oil, and, and those are all just dosing pumps. Yeah. Uh, and then kind of go from there. So, yeah. um, I think, I think all of us see, even the mud engineers that, you know, they don't want to get replaced on the mud check, but they certainly would love for somebody to mix their chemical in a, in a reliable and consistent man manner, instead of wandering around location, looking for somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that's been a challenge right from day one and it continues to be, but, uh, I think as an industry, we've managed to navigate that quite nicely. So uh, what about, you know, not necessarily from the field level map, but what about even just in the office, what kind of automation do we see or, or what, what do you think would be interesting, uh, to be able to sort of take on, uh, and deliver in a realistic way? I mean, I'd love to be able to write a, a mud program automatically or, or, you know, put together a, a, a bid. Um, you know, I, especially, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We use a lot of the same inputs as far as expected dilution rates or chemical consumption for an area that we know. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit repetitive and, and I think, you know, I, I'll be the first to confess that, you know, very early in my career when we were drilling geothermal wells in Indonesia, those were little 10 day wells. You went one to the next, to the next, nothing really changed on any of those wells. And mm -hmm. I was the guy that would do control replace and, you know, I, I would do the volumes would change a little bit and we had a spreadsheet for that. But like, for the most part, it was save the old file under a new file name, change a few things around. And, and there was no problem. It, it met all the standard parameters that you needed. And so it's like, well, what if instead of having to do the find and replace and worry about, you know, putting the wrong well name, leaving an old well name on there or something, or, or, you know, something along those lines, what? Could we just yeah. automate that? Uh, For sure. I think we could. And, and, you know, people write spreadsheet programs and stuff like that to, to do that. Um, I think we just bring a little more sophistication to the table. Uh, I think drilling programs just on the, on the operator side, uh, you know, I, I think in a lot of that kind of bulk well development drilling, you're going to see it. Mm -hmm. um, and then more complex wells, you can automate in the contingencies, right? Right. So. Um, I think there's a ton of opportunity on the paperwork side to write better quality uh, and, you know, not make it necessarily this, this paperwork burden, but let's say it spits it out in a word version for you. And you can say, you know what, let me go through here. Okay. Typically we do this. I'm just going to add a little text here saying, you know, watch out for this, but for, sure. for the most part, that's all you're doing is, is adding 
the part where you already bring value to the table is your knowledge and experience and, you know, communication with the customer. Um, what if we automatically, we, we automate the boring stuff that it feels a little more administrative and then you can just glance through it and say, yeah, that makes sense. But I remember two pads ago, we started doing this and this is an exception to that rule. So let me just make some tweaks with my expertise yeah, and we can get out the door in, in 15 or 20 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. No, the, and, and certainly I'm for sure folks out there say, oh, every will is different and you got to do this and that. But I mean, like you said, the, the way unconventional have been in pad drilling, um, a lot of pads are very similar. <laughs> and so, you know, take it case by case, but, but that's something I'm, I'm confident that, that we could do and adopt. And, um, like you said, you know, you automate it and then you can go in there and manually adjust a few things and away you go. And then, you know, you can take someone who, you know, has a, you know, say an hourly rate of X, well, then you can start adding that, you know, high paying person, uh, in, into doing something else rather than, you know, kind of like they always say, like unload the, unload the $10 an hour jobs and focus on the hundred dollar an hour jobs. Like sometimes there's, you know, there's some, there's some truth to that. And I think the more we do that, then the more people that add value in other places can then focus on, on their energy in those areas. Um, so, but again, it's, it's, you know, all stuff that's coming down the pipeline, which is exciting stuff. I mean, I know you and the team have been working hard in the background to do a lot of these uh, unique things to help free up time for folks. And at the end of the day, just do more with less. That's what it's all about. Um, where do you see some of the problems that, that come up with automation? I mean, I, with every advancement in technology, uh, you know, there's always, there's, there's hurdles that we have to overcome. What are some of the hurdles and challenges that you, you see for coming? Um, I mean, I think I've mentioned reliability, uh, you know, when we talk about equipment, I, I think that'll just continue to persist. It'll get better, but it, it, it will continue to be an issue. Um, you know, there are in the, in the field, there are claims of, oh, there is a fully automated rig or, or what have you. And, and I think generally the big problem has been reliability. It's not that it can't do it. It's that it can't do it reliably and, and that'll get better. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that comes to mind as we talk about, you know, experience and that sort of thing is you can automate some of these tasks. But I think what what worries me a little bit is you have somebody new who doesn't know why you're doing something a certain way. Mm. Um, you know, and, and granted, there can be a lot of safeguards and other things. But uh, um, when you're lo- continually looking to optimize, you say, oh, let's cut out this step. And nobody knows why. Um, that can that can be a pretty dangerous uh, step backwards, both on a safety and an efficiency, uh, perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I think interoperability, getting these systems to work together and, and talk to each other. Um, there's not a lot of incentive to do that. I mean, I just, there is, and there isn't, uh, in a, in as much as, um, uh, a lot of, I, I, I joke about, you see some lab equipment, like the reason that, Return perm equipment is probably the best example. Return permeability testers, the reason they could never standardize them is because they cost so much money and people built their own in a lab. And anybody who built their own $100,000, $200,000 piece of equipment thinks theirs is the best. Uh, There's no way around it. And so if you say, hey, I actually need you to change the design or we're going to standardize to this, they're going to say, well, I don't want to standardize to a lower standard. Mm. Um, and so I think when we talk about interoperability or, or, you know, some of those things say, well, you know, my equipment or my, the part of my role needs to be done in the best way possible. 
and you're asking me to become less efficient or slow down so that some other task can be accelerated or done differently. Um, and so I think there's just going to be a lot of kinks to work out between expertise, between service providers, um, to make those, to make those things all work together as one robot team. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. um, and then I, I think the value, like a lot of the, a lot of this stuff is expensive right now. Um, and you're saying, oh, well, I can eliminate, you know, three people on the rig or I can, I can do these things. And that's partially true, but you're probably going to need somebody and, you know, a new skill set that's, high, you know, costs more to maintain the equipment. Mm. You're going to probably need an IT person to make sure that all these computers are working and that they can communicate with a satellite link or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, right. And so, I, I mean, I can see a, a number of, a number of challenges, but I think that's kind of, I mean, we were, you know, we fix problems. So <laughs> let's, let's identify them, figure out what's wrong and, and figure out how to work our way through them. It's just, I, I could see that all of those things being uh, challenges as we, as we expand what we automate. Yeah. No, for sure. Well, I think like we've talked, I mean, it's inevitable. A lot of this stuff is coming and it's just, you know, not getting ahead of ourselves, um, approaching it strategically, making the right business decisions, which folks far greater, uh, you know, in, in positions far higher than myself are making. And, um, but ultimately it's, it's a slow process and, and it's, and it's fun. I mean, um, and, you know, one last, uh, sort of comment and something that you've mentioned is, you know, are, are we automating for the sake of automating or are we doing it for better economics and safety? I mean, you, you have a, you know, you tend to make uh, comments um, regarding that. So I'd like for you to close out and, and talk, talk on that a little bit. Well, I may have actually stolen that, that comment from somebody I'm, I'm trying to remember, but it, you know, I, I think it, it's like when we talked about the data, is it, you know, is it because I want to tell somebody I used AI or is it because I want to make better decisions? Um, yeah. And I think the, the problem is one of those delivers value and one of those um, becomes more of this sort of symbolic thing that makes headlines and then fades into the background. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that, uh, you know, at least our company philosophy, we're not big on fluff. Uh, we're big on delivery. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's one of the really important things is don't get distracted by being able to use, you know, crypto blockchain AI, you know, put together as many, you know, tech words as you possibly can, but, um, ex explain how new technologies actually are transformative. Right. Um, you know, I, and I think you hear people are getting cynical of the whole tech industry and you know, market disruptors and things like that. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, um, it's, it got you excited the first time, but after a while it was like, I've been told so many things are going to disrupt my life and I'm looking around and, you know, not that much has changed relative to what I was told was going to change. Yeah. But then you look, as, you know, but some things have delivered um, and let's focus on the things that deliver. So I guess, I guess yeah. that's my, final words. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, like I always say, if anyone out there has some interesting stories with regards to automation, um, 
feed it our way. I mean, we certainly aren't exposed to everything that's going on and, and uh, we kind of sit a little bit in, in, in a, you know, in, in our pigeonhole drilling world. But uh, if anyone has any interesting stories or any game changers that they've come across recently or any disruptors, as uh, as we like to say nowadays, uh, yeah, let us know. We always appreciate the, the conversation or the feedback. And um, Matt, yeah, I don't really have any closing last words other than, again, it's, it's coming. Uh, embrace it. Um, you know, do your due diligence and don't get too excited because it is a slow process. So uh, Matt, anything else to add to that, buddy? Nothing for me. Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening, everybody. Please, if you haven't, leave a review uh, or hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. You can reach out to Matt or I on LinkedIn. We're always welcome to chat. Um, and with that being said, everyone, be safe. Until next time, take care. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of the Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.